Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. We've mentioned this fun fact before. If you are in kindergarten today, you have a 50% chance of living to be 100 years old. That's unbelievable. The average lifespan increases every year. Bottom line, people are living longer, folks. And we know instinctively as caregivers, our parents are living longer than our grandparents did, which changes the way we're providing care as a community. Now, one of those big changes is the growth of something called geriatric medicine. That is the study of how aging affects our bodies over a long period of time. So today we've invited Dr. Nasia Hamed, a geriatric specialist at Village Physicians. This is Dr. Hamed's second time with us. Um, and she's, go- she's here to tell us more about geriatric medicine. How is geriatric medicine different from your just average family medicine? When is it time to switch over to a geriatric specialist? And what can gerontology teach us about being better caregivers for our loved ones? Coming up on Prepare to Care. Dr. Hamid, welcome back. Thank you. So you are a geriatric physician. How do you call yourself? Geriatrician. Geriatrician. Okay, that's a mouthful. Yeah. So that means most of your patients are older? Older than 65 is usually what we look for. Um, some people will say in minorities it's older than 55. Okay. Oh, so the difference is? There is a difference depending on um, sometimes minorities, that they'll age faster based on their you know, lifestyle. Okay. So the difference, so you accept patients fifty five to sixty five. Yes. Um, do patients like find they like people say, "Oh, I'm getting old. I should just go see a geriatrician." No, most people tell me I'm not old enough to see you, including my dad, who's like seventy years old. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it, being a, I guess it does have a little bit of a bad connotation to it, uh, going to a geriatric physician. But clearly, just like you take your child to a pediatrician you know, you should consider seeing a geriatrician as you get older. So people deciding to see a geriatrician, it's a little bit like getting your ARP card. You're like, no, I'm not 50. It's not time for me yet. But you have older folks and eventually some of them make their way to you. Yes. Right. So I'm going to talk about you as a geriatrician. To me, you're representing all of them. But actually, I I learned there are not many of them. They're not. There are not many of them. We're very, there are very few of us, and most of us uh, tend to stay in the academic centers. Um, okay. The reason behind that is geriatric, a, ger- a geriatric physician, the way we're trained, we spend a lot of time with our patients. Okay. So long one-hour visits, um, a lot of on-the-phone calls, a lot of family meetings, and those are things that um, don't cur- necessarily fit into the current healthcare system we have in this country. Okay. So yeah, I think you brought that up before in, in your in your previous meeting. So so people find you. Is there like typically like a time when people say, "Oh, it's time to meet a geriatrician," or is there typically like a, an event that brings them to you, or or do people plan for this? I think a little bit of all three. A little bit. Sometimes it's. Um, events that happen and then the children come in and take control and they do this or sometimes it's people have finally reached a certain point where they think they need a geriatrician. It's a little bit of all three of what you mentioned. 
Okay. And um, and what's the difference? So, like, could I, I'm getting older, maybe I'm 65, I'm 70. What's the advantage of seeing a geriatrician as opposed to seeing a regular doctor? Well, so part of the, um, I guess our training is doing a comprehensive geriatric assessment. That is the backbone of a geriatric exam. So we'll do the regular things that your internal medicine or family practice physician will do. But a geriatric assessment will include a functional assessment, so kind of your gait, um, your fall risk, you know, what can you, can and can't do around the house. Um, can you still take your medicine? Can you manage your finances? Can you wash your dishes and cook your food? Um, they also look into social history. Um, who are you living with? How much help do you have? Are you still driving? Are you still working? Are you still retired? Um, and then we do a full cognitive assessment. So do you suffer from dementia? Do you suffer from depression or any other sort of neurological disorder? So that is kind of the backbone of geriatrics. But as a geriatric physician, you're trained not only in internal medicine or family practice, but then it's an additional um, one to two year fellowship focusing on issues of the older population. So constipation, falls, weakness, incontinence, um, frailty or just arthritis, um, osteoporosis. Okay, that makes me anxious just (laughs) listening to this, right? Because I think none of us want to get to that part, right? So is this why people sometimes hesitate coming to see It is. It is why people hesitate. But, you know, the reason I went into geriatrics was because there's a lot more science behind it than people give it credit for. You know, we're so quick to say, you know what, you're just getting old, deal with it. And that's not the situation. A lot of times things can be done um, to, you know, manage pain, to improve symptoms, to... um, to really focus on having a good quality of life, which is our goal as a geriatric physician. So what you're really telling us is, okay, none of us want to face the fact that we're going to be aging, right? I mean, so all of your patients, including your dad, are saying, oh, no, this is not for me, right? Exactly. Um, But your point of view is, well, okay, but there are plenty of things that can be done. Yes, let's be a little proactive. Right. And so, like, does proactive help? I think it does. Like give th- us some, some example of things that help. You know, if nothing else, even if there's absolutely nothing I can do to help you um, in your medical situation, I can help you with your social situation. Let's talk to your family. Let's prepare them for what may or may not happen. Let's see if you have advanced directives in place. Let's see if you have your will in place. Let's see if, you know, if nothing else, I can prepare you so that the road is much smoother than, you know, what it could be. Living on your own. Yeah. So that's if I can do nothing. Right. But, you know, if I can do something, you know, maybe you have really bad arthritis. I can help you manage your pain a little bit more. Or maybe you have, you know, really bad constipation and I can help you have some regular bowel movements that, um, you know, it can be really uncomfortable if you're 75 years old and you're constipated. It affects your social life. You don't want to eat. You know, things like that. I could see that. So on one hand... You have this specialist like you mm-hmm. who, who specialize in medically what happens to people when they age. Um, that sounds like a really good idea, but there are very few of them. Mm-hmm. So when people don't have access to a geriatrician, um, what what do you recommend they do? Like, are there conversations that either people themselves or, or caregivers can have with their doctors? There are. I mean, it, you, I guess I encourage caregivers to have a full list of questions and whenever they go, and they should always go with the doctor 
um, when, they, when they're taking their loved one, they should always go with them. And to have a, a whole list of questions so that they do get all their questions answered about, um, you know, advanced directives, about pain management, about falls, about preventing falls, about preventing pressure sores, about, you know, all these are important questions that um, come into play and that can really, if not addressed appropriately, can really worsen your quality of life. Do you think that as our population ages, there's going to be a push for more pedi- uh, I was going to say pediatrician, geriatrician? Um, I hope so. Yeah. But like I, um, I mentioned earlier, you know, there are fewer boarded geriatricians now than there were 10 years ago. What? Um, it's just... Uh, so more of us are going to get to 100? And there are fewer people We're going to, to be on our own, right? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So... Um, as a geriatrician, are there, um, is, is there advice that you have for people to, things to watch out for? Like, okay, like right now, uh-huh. if, you, if you look at somebody, say, in their 60s, mm-hmm. what, what would be like the top four things that you would want them to focus exercise. on? Exercise. Really? Yes, exercise, definitely. Both aerobic exercise as well as muscle building. Okay. That's my, that's my big thing. Muscle building will prevent falls. You know, staying active will present, prevent being bedbound and getting pressure sores. It'll in, ensure faster recovery from any sort of hospitalization, any sort of surgery. Exercise is my one thing that I really push. So are you talking about, like, go to the gym or take a walk? I'm talking about um, aerobic exercise that gets your heart up okay. to, at the gym or you know, taking a really fast walk. Okay. I'm also talking about something that builds muscle. Water aerobics, um, Pilates, yoga, um, weightlifting if you want to, um, machines, bicycle machines, rowing machines. Yes. So you've seen that, that that's the one big thing can people Yes, do. exercise, okay. definitely. What's the second big thing? The second big thing in my, and I don't, I wouldn't know how to tell this to my patients um, without going to a physician, but what often happens as you get older is you, you have more problems and, you know, you, so you're going to this family practitioner or this internist that really doesn't have the time to spend with you. So he ends up saying, okay, I'm going to send you to a cardiologist and a GI doctor and maybe a neurologist, you know, and so then you end up going to all these specialists and everyone gives you a medication and no one really knows, you know, none of the other physicians really know, oh, what is she taking or, you know, what is he taking or who prescribed what. And so then I have patients come to me, 15, 20 medications, a lot of times the same medication, just different different brand names, and they don't realize they're taking, you know, the same thing. So the next thing I would, I, I would worry, and like I said, I, I have no advice to tell a patient how right. to prevent this, but to really watch the medications you're taking. Okay, make sure, you know, and, and don't take too many make sure everything is necessary um, as you get older you're more likely to have side effects with more medications you're likely to have drug drug interactions and uh, you know medications is a um, I think it's number three or four like cause of hospitalization in this country is medication errors it's like this unwanted yes. thing so in a, we've heard this before on the mm-hmm. show it's like in in our fractured healthcare system yes you know you can have lots of things going on and lots of players so really for caregivers keeping track of all of this yes keeping good notes would be very helpful keeping you know copies of records if not doctor's notes you know uh, copies of all your x-rays and all your labs and maybe an up-to-date medication list and a list of medications you've tried in the past and you know why it was stopped 
in, in way. Okay, that's really good advice. Okay, um, so we heard exercise, we heard medication, right? Yes. Um, I, let's go back to when do you think is the right time for people to come and see you? I mean, I hear there's a certain age range, yes. right? But personally, how do you feel about all of that? Do you, do you have like a hardcore like oh if you're younger than 65 don't come see me? No, no. I will. I have a lot of patients that are younger in their 50s that have really complicated illnesses. You know, diabetes that is poorly controlled. You know, they have some peripheral neuropathy. They have some high blood pressure, high cholesterol. You know, maybe so they they have really complicated medical histories, and a lot of them will come see me um, just because they get you know, the one-hour visit, they get the long, and they're not, you know, then I, I can spend the time with them, and maybe it'll, um, they'll have to see a specialist less often. Um, so anyone with a really complicated history, um, I recommend that they seek out a geriatrician. So tell us a little bit about this idea, too, of, of prevention, right? And I have this extreme example. My, my parents live in France, uh-huh. right? And they go see their doctor every month. Okay which, you know, they're 80, um, and it's like, well, you go see them even if you don't have anything, and they're like, yeah, 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 this is like our insurance, basically. As long as we go see the doctor, we're going to be fine. I think that might be a little extreme, but what do you think of this? Um, I, I mean, I, I think every month might be a little much, but um, definitely every three to four months is a good idea. Really? At yeah. what age do you think that's a good idea? Definitely in your 80s. In your 80s? I definitely? do have my my 80-year-old patients. I'll come back and say, you know, come see me in every four. Now, if they've gone like four or five visits with me every four months and nothing's happened, then right. I'll say, okay, let's move up to every six months. I'm going to have to call my parents and apologize. <laughs> so every month is a little too much. But what I'm hearing is in your 80s, yeah. either you are 80s or you're caring for somebody who is really, you know, getting in that very last stage things could change pretty quickly. Well, and not only that, it's a it's about a relationship, right? Mm. So I'm taking care of you. You know, you may not realize in your 80s, you know, maybe something is wrong. But if, you know, if I'm your doctor, you know, I'll notice, hey, you know what? She forgot my name and I've been taking care of her for two years. Or you know what? She forgot Maria's name, you know, and Maria's my MA. And, and so she, you know, but she's been coming to our clinic for two years. Something's not right. So it's good to see that frequent visit um, to catch something early. Yeah, that's okay. That sounds like incredibly caring, right? Because I think a lot of our healthcare is so fractured. Yes. It's like you go to the doctor's office and you're like wrapped in some paper towel and they talk to you for like about five or six minutes and don't even have the time. Yes. So how how do people deal with that? You know, can you can you like hijack the process and make the doctor talk to you a little longer? I mean, what you know, for those of us who don't have access to someone like you, um, I tell them to write your questions down. Write your questions down, and and as soon as the doctor comes in, say I have a list of questions. Okay. <laughs> and make sure he knows, and make sure he he answers all of your questions till the you know till you're till you're satisfied so let's go back to the till you're satisfied okay. i think that's a that might be an issue even even for me and i'm mm-hmm. not a shy yeah. person yeah. but i'm thinking i interact with my physician i had a recent interaction i sent an email the person responds i actually have more questions but i'm like oh is it really okay to email your doctor more than once yes if you have questions, you should email. You should really do that. Yes. I think a lot of us feel intimidated. Yes. You know, it's the doctor. We don't do that. Yes, but um, 
that, so that's part of the doctor-patient relationship, right? They, they, so yes, you should email your physician if you have a question. Okay. So really for caregivers is don't be shy don't about... Don't be shy. Not pushing, but being persistent. Being persistent. And it's much more efficient. If you take a list of questions in and, okay, I have some questions, you know, one to, you know, then it'll be an efficient use of the physician's time as well. You're not sitting there going, well, what if this and what if the, and, you know. So most physicians will be happy to answer those questions. Okay. I have another random question just because, sure. right? Because we're at the end. Um, you were talking about... Um, you were talking about exercising. I'm thinking, you know, uh-huh. things you can do to yeah. take care of yourself or take mm-hmm. care of a loved one. So you said exercise is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and medication is important. How about diet? Like, is it okay to have your ice cream? Yes. Okay. So yes. to tell us about that. We have such complicated relationships sometimes with food, uh-huh. particularly as we get older. Um, I, I remember my mother-in-law who would not want to eat any milk product until she was literally on her deathbed. And then she gorged on ice cream, you know, and we thought, should she have done that earlier? You know, what's, what's the relationship between diet and, and pleasure, basically? Well, you know, as a, you know, for a general answer, there is, um, a, you know, we don't want our older patients to lose too much weight. It is a little bit healthier to, you know, to, within the normal BMI range to be in the upper part of that normal. Okay, uh, mortality is kind of parabolic, so if you get a little bit too low, in that normal BMI, then your mortality goes up as well as a as an older person. Really? So as an older person, you'd yeah. be better off being a little rounder? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So with that sense, you should eat a healthy diet. Right. Okay. Eat your vegetables, your fruit, your meat, a balanced diet. If you like ice cream every now and then and you're not diabetic, then go ahead and eat it. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend a healthy diet for everyone. Right. I, stay, I tell people to stay away from the... Um, the frozen foods because of the high salt in them. I tell, and the canned foods, and try to stay away from some of the chemicals that the diet foods have. But that's just my personal okay. opinion. This was just terrific advice. Thank you. Um, I think you know we never think about that yes. because I think there is so much pressure on being thin. Mm-hmm. And I, I know a number of older women who want to keep being thin. And what you're saying, mm-hmm. well, yes, but there's a cost. Yes, there is a cost as you get older. Okay. Good advice. So um, this is about all the time we have had. If you had one piece of advice, one last piece of advice for our listeners today, what would that be? Well, since most of our listeners are caregivers, I would tell them a couple of things. Number one, take that list, take that list of questions into the doctor. Um, and number two, exercise for both them and the person they're taking care of. Um, and number three, to take care of themselves. All right, thank you. This is very good advice. So today we've spoken with Dr. Nasia Amen, mm-hmm. a geriatric specialist here in Houston with Village Physicians. Look her up on Google. Um, and she was talking about the importance of geriatric medicine. Thank you. Um, as always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, and at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. I'm going to repeat that. It's www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey. Help us improve future episodes or find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for caring.